Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters, the world of my oyster and my pearl is going to be big as fuck. <laughs> my name is Thomas and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you? How was your vacation actually? And uh, what are you drinking this morning? Ah, uh, dude, I feel great. I-, I needed this vacation. It's been like almost a year. Uh, amazing. The-, the vacation was amazing. Um, it no, went- wait. I don't- Do people know where you went? So, uh, Laura and I were were big were are big fans of ancient aliens, and so I had to travel to Machu Picchu myself to prove <laughs> that it was created by aliens. I'm- okay, man. <laughs> I would love to go to Machu Picchu, but you guys went there for ancient aliens. So, so I'm not sure we were able to prove that it was aliens, but we got some awesome selfies with it in the background. Okay, yeah, I did see the selfies. Yours was only a week, right? Uh yeah, it was a week. Yeah, okay, cool. And then I was in Japan for three weeks before you went off. So, man, we have been, uh, I think it's been like a month since we talked. I know. At least for, or at least recorded. We're, we're both still sure. smiling, so I think that's good. Yep. <laughs> I don't regret being back here. But yeah, what are you drinking? Nutribullet, I'm guessing? Uh, absolute, dude. Nice purple. Yep. Got the blackberries in there. You want to know something interesting? Yeah. I quit coffee. No shit. <laughs> yeah. How come? Why? Uh, I, so... I've had this like sneaking suspicion that coffee was harming me for a while mm-hmm. because I don't know, like my chest would like get inflamed and have pain sometimes. I had no idea where it was coming from. Um, and then some people were like, Thomas. Oh, coffee is inflammatory. Maybe it's the coffee that you're drinking. So, but I mean like it was a habit, right? Mm-hmm. I just could never let it go. So I came home from Japan. And I'm like, I'm going to not drink coffee. So I have some chai tea right here. I have like five boxes of other tea that I bought and I'm just uh, trucking through that. And and you're good? Like your chest is good? And I mean, I feel like the pain's going down. I don't know. There was there was a moment where uh, I like sneezed when we were at this temple in Japan. And for whatever reason, my chest like exploded in pain. And I was like, oh, what? I'm having a heart attack. Wait, no, I'm not. But it really hurts. <laughs> the, uh, I need to fix this. <laughs> Damn. Anyway, I guess that's, uh, that's what I'm drinking. But today on the show, we have our friend Al- Allison Carrolls. And we're going to talk about real estate. Uh, but first, I got to give a shout out to our friend Daniel Merle, who is at the Duke Daniel on Twitter. Uh, he gave us this week's catchphrase, which is "The world is my oyster and my pearl is gonna be big as fuck." And if you got a catchphrase, you can send that to us on Twitter. We're at Money Matters Man or on Facebook or send a Raven or something. Just uh, we want your catchphrases. And uh, let's see who we're gonna call out this week, Andrew. Mm. People whose name is Allison. That's besides right. Besides you. Yeah, you got a catchphrase. Send it to us. And and if you're a guy and your name is Earl, for, for, <laughs> okay. maybe for your T, Earl Gray. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that's a great. My name is Earl. All right, so let's jump in. Um, I here's what I know about real estate. I rent from a landlord, but you are a landlord, uh, right? I am. I'm a nurse first, though, so I feel like I need to adjust your chest pain issues. Um, <laughs> But I am a real estate investor, and it is definitely nice to be on the landlord side of things um, and collect your rent checks every month. So I always figured it would be like really stressful to be a landlord because you have your tenants calling you all the time with things you need to fix. Is that the case, or is it pretty stress-free? Well, do you call your landlord all the time? I, I contact her. <laughs> uh, well, I, don't, I don't know if it's really a fair comparison because we moved in, in the beginning of April, and then I like left for all of May. Uh, but I have yeah. had to call her for a few different issues so far, and I mean, like, I'm sure I'm not the only person that she manages. So sure, yeah, yeah, it 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 can depend. I have uh, several rentals, and most of them are very trouble free. I have one renter who I speak to once a year when she renews her lease, and I never talk to her otherwise. She does all the repairs herself. She never calls for anything. And then I have another couple that live in a house that will literally call me to change a light bulb. Or that a knob is sticking on a washer or something. And they'll never leave because there's no way they could live in their own house and manage that themselves. Yeah. They're calling me about knobs and light bulbs. You know, (laughs) the the light bulb thing is like one of my biggest fears. Do you actually do the light bulb for them? Like, do you change it? Our handyman goes out there and does it. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So they'll, they'll charge me two bucks for, you know, a new light bulb or something and they'll go out there and change it. They, uh, I use a property manager, so I don't personally get those phone calls. I just get the 
a copy of the work request that they put in electronically. So I know that the guy is going out there, but luckily the property manager that I use has a handyman, you know, on retainer that just does all really basic stuff. So it's not exorbitant. If it's a bigger thing that requires like a plumber or HVAC or something, then it would get contracted out and it'd be pricey. So if this person does this frequently and their bulbs are always breaking, can you get them out or are you kind of just like stuck with them until they're done with you? Well, it depends. I mean, if it's a little rinky dinky, stuff like that, you want to keep them, you want to keep them happy because it's a lot cheaper to pay a light bulb or something like that than to have to turn over in between tenants Mm because turnover, you're going to be without a tenant for a month or two. You'll have to repaint, you know, freshen up the carpets. There'll be a lot more expenses than just, you know, handling little things along the way. Yeah, I imagine so. So you said you have a property manager. Does that mean you basically just own the property and then like it's hands off from there? Like they kind of do everything for you? Yeah, I would kind of equivalent in financial terms to having like a full service broker or something. Someone that actually holds your hand and handles everything versus you making your own decisions. Um, So for me, I just buy the properties. So it's my money. I'm owning the properties. I get all the rents and all the tax deductions and all the benefits that go along with being a real estate investor but I don't get the phone calls because I'm willing to spend 10% of every rent check for someone else to handle that. Yeah, I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, I can make a ton more, but it's not worth it to me because I don't want it to be a job per se. I want it to be an investment. Mm -hmm. So um, I've always thought like investments and like the stock market and I've kind of just maybe because the way I grew up was I went that way. What made you go towards this rental route? Well, I've always been interested in money, too. I love stock markets. I love all my investments with that. Real estate is probably about maybe 30% or 40% of my total portfolio. Um, But it just started because, you know, like most people, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in that book, they just talk about the paths to freedom. And you could be a worker, you could own a business, or you could be an investor. And investor seems to be where all the real money's at, where the money's working for you, where other people are working for you with you know, you can go travel and money's still coming in. And I tried my hand at, you know, trading options, doing more advanced stuff. And it required so much time and effort on my part. And I had a job and a family that it just wasn't working out. And so real estate just made the most sense. I had a property that we owned before my husband joined the Air Force. Mm. And when he joined the Air Force and they told us to move, we didn't want to sell the property. So we decided to just rent it. So it just stayed as a rental for like six years before we did anything else. Hmm. And it was just very steady income, very reliable. It's in my college town. Go Gators. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And then we just really started thinking about it. Like, how do we want to invest our money? We had extra money every month. What do we want to do with it? Do we want to invest in the stock market? And that was like 08, 09 when everything was starting Mm. to crash down. And I just Mm. didn't trust the market anymore. I mean, I still put my money in there in you know basic index funds but I just don't trust it and so we my parents still lived in that college town so we'd go back there to visit and we'd drive around and we'd see these houses for 80,000 bucks that are commanding a thousand dollars a month in rent and the the profits are just great Mm -hmm. and we're just like all right let's buy another house so we bought a house and then two years later we bought another house and then a year later we bought another house and six months later we bought another house and it's just getting quicker and quicker (laughs) so how how many properties yeah do you have now Right now we have four, but I just went under contract yesterday for another house. Wow. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Because so, so your first experience was just the, the place you already owned and lived in and you just kind of converted it to a rental? Yeah. So it just happened to luck out that it was it made money. I didn't analyze it for cash flow or anything prior to, prior to buying it. I just happened to have a good house and very strong demand like student area that just worked out really well. Um, so that was our first rental. It'll actually be paid off in like a year and a half, and then the cash flow is going to jump up to about six hundred dollars a month. Right now, it's about two hundred. Um, but it's a really good rental. It's a three bedroom, you know, right on the bus lines, like a mile from campus. So it's really easy to rent. Okay. So I guess a couple of questions, like with with respect to the actual rental, um, how do you determine the rent you're going to charge, and then? What are all the expenses that you have to deal with uh, on the back end like versus the expenses that the renter deals with? Okay. Um, so for the college town where we invest in, general rule of thumb is about $300 per room. 
Um, okay. So if you have a three bedroom, you can get at least 900. Um, the house that I have, it rents for about a thousand because it has a fenced in yard and we allow pets mm. and it has like a big living room and stuff. So we get a thousand for that. Um, but then we have like a little two bedroom, one bath that gets 750. So it's usually about 300 per room and then maybe a little bit extra depending on if you have washer dryers and other amenities like that. Um, okay. Since these are all single family homes, the tenant's responsible for doing the lawn, um, general basic maintenance they, they can handle if they want to. But as the landlord, you're responsible for just, you know, the bigger repairs, if anything broke, you know, we'd go out there and repair, but they handle all the utilities, all the, you know, landscaping and things like that. So there really shouldn't be too much major maintenance. Like twice a year, we'll go out and make sure the fire extinguisher works. And uh, we have a lot of trees in Florida, so they'll clean the roofs to make sure the leaves don't clog up the gutters and things like okay. that. Okay. Are you close to the coast at all? No. Um, so you don't have to worry about like hurricane insurance and stuff like that? We do have hurricane insurance because it's in Florida, um, but Gainesville's in the middle of the state. So okay. you don't really have too much hurricane damage. You might have some wind damage because, you know, we have hurricanes that go through. But by the time they get to the middle, they've died down to a tropical storm and it's not a big deal. Okay. So as the owner, you've got to pay the mortgage if it's not outright owned at that point. Property taxes, yeah. insurance. Um, have you figured out what like an average monthly cost is for repairs and uh, just like maintenance and projects across the board? Yeah. The easiest rule of thumb for that is just take 50% right off the bat and assume that's what your all your costs are going to be for insurance, property tax, maintenance, um, property management, all those things. So say your rent's a thousand, just knock it in half and assume you're going to be paying five hundred bucks a month for all that sort of stuff. And then you can subtract your actual mortgage payment, which on a hundred thousand dollar house is going to be like three hundred dollars um okay. so then it'd be like two hundred dollars profit and that over the long term would give you a very accurate estimate most months you'd be making more because you wouldn't have those big expenses but then if you have turnover in between tenants you will have bigger expenses that month or two so it right. all kind of evens out how much do you wind up putting down on these properties um if you conventionally finance through fannie mae Freddie mac one of those traditional finance people the first four mortgages you have you have to put 20% down for investment properties and then properties five through 10, you have to put 25% down. Oh, wow. And then, oh, yeah. Okay. And then beyond 10 properties, you either have to refinance them all into a portfolio loan or go into private financing or something. Because if you have a company that works with the government, they are, they're capped at 10. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I would have thought that the down payment would be lower on the next properties because they would trust you enough, but apparently no, not. You actually have to have, more in reserves as well. Um, the first four, you just have to have like three months of reserves. So that's like, say your mortgage is 500 bucks, you'd have to have $1,500 just sitting in reserves. And it can be in an IRA or whatever. It doesn't have yeah. to be liquid. But as you get into the higher properties, five through 10, you have to have six months of reserves for each mortgage you have to pay. Okay. Do you get to count the income from prior properties to your you know, current incomes so that you can you know, qualify for future mortgages yeah yeah you can count so say i am buying this house that i just put under contract yesterday um they can take into account that my rent will be a thousand bucks and the mortgage will that to add into my debt to equity ratio and my um income ratios so they'll take that into account because they, they know they're dealing with investors so they're not just looking at a random person they're they know they're dealing with investors so they take into all account all your cash flow okay cool you know, it almost sounds like the cost of living where you are is not too high. Oh, it's super cheap. I feel like it's about the same as where I live, to be honest. I know. You <laughs> kept talking about moving into this house. I'm like, you can buy a house and rent it to your buddies, and then you'll be living free. <laughs> so why is it so cash flow positive? Does like, Do nobody buy homes down there? Well, it's a college town. When you went to college, did you buy the house you lived not in? Not at all. But no, because you know you're going to be there three or four years. So you just have to find the right market. I mean, I wouldn't invest in some super rich place like New York City because that you could. I mean, it'd be impossible for me to come up with a down payment. But in little college towns throughout America, I mean, there's college towns all over: Ames, Iowa, Gainesville, Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. Wherever you want to live, there's little college towns. They have high demand because people are only there three or four years. Even professors might not be there the whole time. They might only be there for a few years. 
most kids have, you know, decent income coming in. I know at Florida, you can have parents co-sign the lease, so you have some reassurance there that, you know, everyone's going to pay. And plus, if you, you know, some of the younger college kids might live in dorms, but the older ones, maybe grad students or foreign students that come with their families, they want a house. Yeah. And they treat your house a little bit better. And, you know, if you screen your tenants properly and you're not getting some crazy frat boys, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that was a question. Uh, since you're going on your fifth property now, right? Mm-hmm. Are you exclusively focusing on college towns then? That is our niche for sure. I, I feel like that's the strongest demand. The houses are usually cheaper than if you go to more of a working neighborhood like around Atlanta or some, you know, major metropolitan. Um, if you focus on college towns or we're military as well, we originally thought we'd focus on military housing mm. and just buy a house every time we move somewhere. But they kept sending us places like Dayton, Ohio and Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> oh. which we didn't want to own a house in. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so we nixed that and just stayed focused on college towns because it's just really reliable and the, the kids are willing to pay two, three hundred bucks a room yeah. to rent and your mortgage is never that much. I mean, like I said, a hundred thousand dollar house, you're only going to have a couple hundred dollar mortgage. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, one of the, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I keep like interpe- or interrupting you, Andrew. No, no, that's cool. Uh, one of the concerns like I always have when I consider like, oh, what if I, you know, eventually one day go into, uh, being a landlord is like, I know you can screen applicants for certain things, but how do you keep somebody who's like a disrespectful jerk from renting your place and then destroying it? Well, hopefully you have more than one applicant. <laughs> so you can just say, I choose this person, but you can't okay. discriminate. There are yeah. tons of rules of who you cannot, you know, you can't discriminate someone based on, you know, their sex or race or anything like that, but you can discriminate based on income. So you can say you have to make three times the rent in mm. your salary or something like that. You can discriminate against pets. You know, you can say, I don't want any animals in my house unless it's a true service dog. Then you'll okay. have to let that. But um, so there are ways, you know, to get the kind of tenant you want. You can say you have to have a credit score of, you know, X, whatever your credit score thing is. So there's ways to filter out the kind of person you want. Okay. Oh, did either of you hear about the startup castle? No. At all? No. (laughs) There's a, it's, I think it's in like uh, the Bay Area, like San Francisco. These people are renting this gigantic like mansion with a bunch of rooms and they want to make like this startup castle place. Uh, and it's like a thousand bucks a month to get a bunk in like a four bed room. But the re- requirements are ridiculous. They're like, yeah, if you wear makeup more than one day a week, you shouldn't be here. Like if you play video games, you shouldn't come here. Like all sorts of crazy stuff and the internet's just pooping all over them. But I was just like, how, how are you even able to discriminate based on any of these things uh i guess it just didn't make sense to me maybe it's different with being roommates with the people as well i don't know i don't know i don't know if makeup is a protected class so you could say (laughs) (laughs) if you wear makeup you're not allowed in it's it's only the protected classes that you can't discriminate against okay so you could be like oh you are wearing a black shirt i don't like black shirts you're out yeah you can do you can be that granular sure Okay. And is there any like risk of them like interpreting that any sort of rejection as like hidden prejudice against a protected class and then you getting sued? Maybe, but if you, you know, point out no, it was just because of that and you can somehow prove your side as well. I mean, they're gonna have a tough time proving their side if it's just a shirt that you're okay. against. But if they have a shirt with like some crazy goth thing on it and you're scared of them I have a, actually one of the doctors I work with, um, he said that he rented out his house to a bunch of ladies and he went there to check on it one time and they had it literally a cauldron in the middle of his living room and had turned it into a Wiccan like temple or something. (laughs) (laughs) And that just got him totally out of real estate. He was like, there's no way I'm ever doing this. (laughs) I'm like, that is the worst horror story I've heard. A Wiccan temple in the middle of your (laughs) rental. Oh man. I almost feel like I'd I'd rather have a Wiccan temple in my living room than like a bunch of frat boys pouring Maybe. Budweiser down the walls and stuff. <laughs> okay. So, so oh, okay. Ahead, you um you like obviously pick the person who signs the lease, right? So um, you know, maybe uh one person in a group of three friends will go and sign the lease 
And then, you know, you have a three-room place, they bring their two buddies in, and they're just not as awesome as a dude who signed the lease. Uh, how do you protect yourself against that? Because Laura and I were kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe we'll only rent to couples so that we don't get, like, people slipping in that we wouldn't want in our place. Well, that's good, too, but my last... One of my houses, the one that I've owned the longest, had a, a couple just moved in a year ago, and halfway through the lease, they broke up. Oh, shit. Oh. And the girl moved out, and then the guy's been making all the payments, and actually, this is his last month he's moving out, and we already have someone lined up to move in. But for a few months there, I was like, oh, my gosh, is he going to be able to make the rent all by himself because they broke up? So I don't know. If, you know, yeah. every, Everything can change. I mean, you could have the best tenant ever. He all of a sudden gets in a car accident, and he's in the hospital for months. You never know what's going to happen. Um, as far as who's on the lease, ideally you have everyone that lives there, you know, sign a lease and have them accountable, but it's not realistic that you're going to know who is in that house at all times. Um, but hopefully you get everyone on there and they're honest with you, um, as mm. to who's going to be on the lease. Yeah. I mean, my, my landlord just like made sure to ask who exactly would be living there. I had to write down everyone's name, contact information. And, uh, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good process. But yeah. uh, what you said, like with the breakup issue, uh, that could even happen with friends. Sure. And that's why I would not buy a house and rent it to friends because <laughs> I am, I don't I mean, I'm a pretty realistic person. And I'm imagining like this whole situation with me living with four friends is not going to last forever, especially since sure. everyone's graduated. I would imagine like in a couple of years, somebody's going to decide they want to get married or want to go get a new job in a different town. It's, they're going to leave, you know? Yeah. And then I don't want to be like, I don't want to feel like I'm forced to rent rooms out to people that I'm not as good of friends with just because I want to make the payments. Yeah, that could get so. awkward in a few years if all of a sudden you have two rooms empty and you're like, I don't know these random people. At, yep. I mean, at that point, <laughs> you might just move out yourself and turn the whole thing into a rental. But yeah. I think if you did your friends like, I have high hopes for my son who's six to also become a real estate mogul when he's like in college and, <laughs> and he's going to, we're going to pick out a house for him to live in when he goes to college and he's just going to rent out the rooms and make money and learn how to be a landlord, like on the job. Um, but yeah, it'd be kind of awkward just to pick random guys off Craigslist or something to live in your house and they turn into be serial killers or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm done living with randos. Yeah. I did enough of it in college. So, I mean, I think the only reason this house works is because everyone, you know, in here knows each other so well that it's almost like a little family kind of thing. Yep. So uh, what are some things like tools or, or things you've done that make being a landlord easier or like more automated? Um, definitely just having the team in place. Like I have real estate agent. I have a company that, you know, screens out houses for us and just sends us, hey, you might be interested in this property. What do you think? And then if we like it and we go with it, you know, we already have a home inspector that we work with that can go out and check the house and we have the property management already in place. So we know what to expect there and we have the contact person there that we deal with. And so just, if you're getting started, just slowly build those pieces up. If you're not going to manage it yourself, the property manager is the absolute most important part because mm. they're the ones that are going to find the tenants. They're going to screen them, you know, ask for your approval on them. They're going to do all the maintenance to so make sure they have good maintenance crew um, they're going to make a difference between whether you're making money or not, yeah. whether they're getting the right tenants in, whether they're doing appropriate, you know, repairs and keeping you up to date on what maintenance issues might be coming down the road so that in between tenants, you can fix things and be really efficient with your time. So just finding that is the most important. And they take the payments too, right? They collect all the rent checks. If okay. somehow you know they're late, or you have to go into an eviction or something, they have lawyers and they handle all that for you. And okay. So I think if you're not going to manage yourself, which I'm a fan of not managing it myself, yeah. <laughs> then I think you just have to find one you trust. Hopefully, your town has several. If it's a college town, they're definitely going to have several because that's such mm -hmm. a hot market. Um, but any major town is going to have several real estate property managers and just interview them and get comfortable with one and just get references. And that's the key. So um, I love this idea of income-based investing. And I've been kind of wishing I, I went into this sooner because I feel like it almost gives you this, this freedom as opposed to having all your money locked up. My, my question to you is, how does it compare against investing in the stock market? Like your down payments, what sort of return are you seeing? Is it competitive? 
Over the long term, for sure. Um, my return for the property that I've owned the longest is about 9%, and I've owned it 15 years now. So oh, nice. I think that's definitely competitive with the market. Um, yeah. Taking out a big chunk, like $25,000 to put towards a down payment feels a little rough because I'm always taking it out of my savings to, to put towards that. But that, the monthly cash flow, I know it's hard to kind of visualize $200 a month making a difference, but it really, really does. Like the amount you need to save to in order to draw $200 out, like if I was just putting it away and then I'm older and I'm starting to retire, I would need hundreds of thousands of dollars in my, in my bond or stock account to get $200 of dividends out every month. Mm. And instead, I'm just putting $25,000 down, getting $200 a month, tenants paying the rest. So it's just a factor of, you know, do you want to be the one saving and investing or do you want your tenant kind of doing that for you and just putting a fraction? That's where the leverage comes into play that is such a difference between real estate and everything else. So can you explain the leverage in terms of real estate then? Sure. Um, so if you have $100,000 that you're looking to invest and you wanted to buy a property and you paid it all in cash and you put it all down and you're getting $600 a month, you're going to get, it'd be like 7% return on investment for the whole year. You'd be getting that back and that's great. But if you only had to put 20% down, so you're only putting $20,000 and you're putting the rest of the 80,000 into, you know, your Betterment account or whatever, you're now making that same $600 a month, but only on 20,000 instead of 100,000. Okay. Your returns are much greater. Okay. So that's just the key is you're only putting a small fraction down. The remaining 80000 that's going to pay off that mortgage is coming from someone else. Someone else is going to work every day, giving you a rent check every month, and paying that off for you. So thank you, tenants. <laughs> and I'm only having to put that original you know, percent down. So it's just exponential when you get someone else to pay it for you. But doesn't it mean that you're getting less per month than you would have if you didn't have the mortgage? True. I will take out a few... I mean, I'm, I'm still banking on making a couple hundred dollars cash flow during that time. And that's where you can figure out if you want to go 30-year mortgage or 15-year mortgage or pay it off as quick as you can um, so that you can get higher cash flow. Right now, my husband and I are still working, and we plan on working for about 10 more years and then retiring. And so during this 10 years, we're trying to get up to as many properties as we can. And then okay. as soon as we retire instead of saving up for the next property, we just put all that money towards the mortgage payments so that you know five, seven years after we're retired, all the mortgages are paid off. Okay. And kind of like um, Andrew, my husband's an engineer, so he runs a gazillion spreadsheets and analyzes <laughs> like exactly what month everything would be paid off if we did that route where we try to accumulate as much as we can now and then as soon as we hit our goal of cash flow, we rapidly pay it off. Man, what is it with Andrews and spreadsheets? <laughs> <laughs> they I have two data points now. That is, that's, that's statistics right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was a question I had in my head, though. Um, how many properties are you kind of hoping to get up to? Is it just like as many as we can? Or do you have like our, a certain number in mind? before our, get original thought, our original thought was 10. Okay. And that was when we were buying a property every year or two. But... It's kind of like the snowball thing. Like, the more properties we get, the quicker it is to the next property. So now, instead of going two years, it was one year, and now it's six months. And so it's moving a lot quicker because we're getting more money in each month. And plus, as we grow in our careers, we're making more money each month, and we're still living. Uh, I wouldn't say cheaply, but I mean, we still have couches in here from college 15 years ago in our house. Yeah. We just don't care a lot about material things in our house. So we have a lot of extra money every month that is just going towards buying the next thing. So we've moved from 10 properties to 20 properties. Um, okay. That's our goal is to get 20 properties by the time my husband uh, retires from the Air Force in 10 years. And that would completely replace our incomes between his military pension and our real estate um, income. It would completely replace our incomes and my son will be 16 years old and will be retired and he'll probably not right like on. that we'll be around him so much when he's 16. <laughs> so, and, uh, so once all those mortgages are paid off, what would the ballpark uh, profit per property be? Um, it would probably go from about 200 a month to five or 600 a month. 
Okay, so at 20 properties, I mean, you're making 10K a month. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's okay. more than we need to live on. We're just That'll gonna... sustain you. You guys can even save yeah. for retirement, during retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's the plan. We're not going to bank on Social Security or even all of our IRA money because, I mean, we can't even get to that till around 60 or something anyway. So yeah. we're trying to plan for how are we going to live when we're 50 and be retired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that's smart thinking. Um, so, I mean, at four properties right now, what would you say is like the amount of hours per month you need to spend like personally doing work to keep this stuff running? One or two max. <laughs> oh, really? What? Okay. Yeah. Like, like, oh, most of them renew right around this time. Like the summer is the time that they all, yeah. you know, renew. And so of the four properties, only one was changing tenants. So oh. that guy moves out at the end of June. We already have someone lined up to move in like mid-July. Okay. So that one might require a little effort because we'll have to paint and probably put new carpets in or something. Um, so that might require a little bit of effort on my part. But all the others, the tenants just walked in, signed another year extension, and Perfect. see you next year. So even though you're in a you're in a college town, it sounds like you guys don't have like this super strict like end of July uh, lease end kind of thing. No, it, it kind of varies. I mean, the school starts up in August, yeah. but most of the leases end just sometime in June. I tend to oh, okay. buy my houses in like March or April, and then it takes like a month to get them rehabbed and ready to go. Um, okay. So we just start all of our people on twelve year, I mean twelve month leases, twenty four if they want. And we'll try to have them end around June so that they're all somewhere in the middle of summer. So you don't live in this area where you're buying all the houses anymore, right? So nope. when you want to buy a new house, do you go there and look? Or are you like doing this remotely and you just, I, I don't know, like I'm kind of baffled. Most of it's remotely now. Um, yeah, so we you're do buying live. houses without <laughs> physically seeing them? No, I go. Oh, okay. It's a tax write-off to make a trip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I live outside D.C. now. And um, so when we have a property, I'll either just look at it on the Internet in pictures or they'll send me a bunch of interior pictures, outside pictures. I'll go to Google Maps. I'll um, you know, look at the street views and things like that. To, but I know, the, I know the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. so I'm comfortable with that. Um, and then once it gets time... Like if I'm buying a brand new house and we have to do rehab on it, then I'll go at the end with an independent, you know, home inspector and we'll go through the house and we'll make our punch list of all the things that they still need to fix and and get ready. And then that way I'll see the house in person and I'll take pictures and stuff. But it's it's you just kind of have to have trust in your team that they're going to find a property that they are confident they're going to rent out. I mean, the property manager is in their best interest to find a property that's going to rent because they get their 10% every month. So they're not going to find some junky little house that's hard to rent. They're going to find a nice one that's easy to rent, low maintenance. Um, So it's just a matter of finding the right location. The entirety Hmm. of your team is this management company. Like you literally hired them and they're helping you find and buy the properties. They're helping you find the tenants fix they, like they're literally doing everything yeah it's like a yep. joke <laughs> so, yeah. sounds like and there's, only there's a moderately ton of more effort than vanguard or something you know it, it really is quite equivalent to like here's betterment here's thirty thousand dollars tell me what to invest in <laughs> like it's kind of similar there's a lot of companies throughout the country called turnkey property you know companies that yeah. will do that for you they'll they'll find the properties they'll completely renovate the properties they'll tenant the properties and then they'll sell it to someone and um they're all over some are more reputable than others so you got to do your your research on them but i mean that's just a big market because there's a lot of investor demand out there for rental properties and i think just there's a whole movement of people not owning properties especially with the younger generation they don't want to own but -hmm. someone's still got to own the house and so there's a lot of investor demand for it a lot of mutual funds and hedge funds are going into that market well they're they're making giant reeks of, of just houses that they bought. Yeah. Look, I, I I think I did a decent job. I could have did a better job of finding the place that I live now. But, like, I was right. looking at that for me. Um, yeah. If I was to get started in this and, um, you know, my college town is Newark, New Jersey, so I don't know if I necessarily want to invest there. You know, maybe a different college town. Invest in uh, Thomas's. Yeah, invest like Thomas's. <laughs> like, how how would I get started? Like, 
what sort of things should I consider? Um, I think, yeah, you have location is the first thing. Like, middle of New Jersey might not be good. Um, <laughs> like, you, ha- you kind of want to find <laughs> middle of America, you know, where the properties can be cheaper. Because um, you don't want to have to come up with so much money down payment. You yeah. know, that's that's such a big chunk. Like, to buy a house, like, where I live outside of D.C., it's like half a million dollars for this little condo. It's impossible to make that work with how much you could rent it for. Mm-hmm. You pretty much just have to want to live there as a person. But if you go to middle of America where the average house is 70, 80, you know, 150 as a really, really nice house, you can get that where the ca- where it makes sense with the cash flow. So the first thing is you have to find a good city, you know, I don't know Iowa that much, but around like Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, you know, <clears throat> Dayton, where there's universities, um, like Memphis is really popular, or Philadelphia is really popular. Um, you can go to Philadelphia and get a really nice, well, not really nice, but a duplex right in the middle of the city. There's tons of universities. There's huge metropolitan, huge rental demand. And you can get a duplex in Philly for 100 k and it'll rent for like 1300 a month. Um, that, we were actually looking at that recently, but my husband is not comfortable with big city. And so he thought it'd yeah. be too sketchy because they're all row houses and, you know, a little bit lower income, but okay. they're still solid workers. They need to, you know, live somewhere. Mm-hmm. So as long as you have a good company out there, that's going to look out for you and renovate it wisely so that it's tenant proof. Yeah. Good. I think if I was, if I was going to do it, I would probably go for the college towns like you. And I think I might also like go for colleges that specialize in majors where there's more nerdy people like engineering schools <laughs> yeah yeah like someone I, that's just gonna make it into a gamer haven and not trash it that's i right. would love that if, if i could get tenants that are just gonna be gamers like me then hey i'm good i'm all for that all they do uh, is play thomas <laughs> online uh, like smash brothers or something my, my screening process is you have to be a reader of my website because then i know you're probably responsible <laughs> there you go <laughs> uh yeah so um you talked about a duplex um that kind of leads to another question i had have you guys thought about or like weighed the pros and cons of buying an entire apartment complex or building instead of just single houses like what are the pros and cons with that there's definitely economies of scale. So if you went to an apartment complex, and certainly lots of university towns have tons of apartment complexes, you're gonna you're gonna make a lot more money. Mm-hmm. It's also going to require a lot more money to get into it. I mean, a, like hundred unit apartment complex could be you know over a million dollars. Yeah. What well, so is you like a small one? Like I think I have a teacher from high school who manages like a really small like maybe twenty apartments at most. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really, really popular. A lot of investors, they'll start with single-family homes, and then they'll realize that they can make a lot more money in the small multifamilies or the small apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. Um, some states, it varies. Sometimes you have to have a manager on site. So, like, one of the buildings might be the, you know, in-house manager that kind of handles everything. So you mm-hmm. want to make sure that person's really strong and can handle minor maintenance issues and can handle collecting all the rent checks and everything. Um, there's definitely money to be made, though, because if you have – you know, one roof that covers eight units and you need to replace the roof every 30 years, it's a lot cheaper than, you know, eight individual roofs yeah. and things like that. You just you just have to be ready to screen a lot more tenants. You're going to have a little bit of vacancy, but I think the profit overall is going to be a lot stronger. Um, that's probably a lot more hands-on than we're willing to be. Um, okay. Because for us, for our financial needs, I mean, when we mapped it out, anywhere between 10 and 20 houses is going to replace our income and we'll live comfortably. Um, so that's just a little extra than we don't really need to do, but it's certainly a, a nice investment. And I can see people who have done it and have successfully done it very well. It's just not really what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay. So there are tax deductions if you pay mortgage interest. Yeah. How much does that really? Add? So if, if I was to like calculate, all right, I put you know. $100,000 down and I get $10,000 a year, you know, it's like super whatever, like I could figure out my return very easily. How much does this tax deduction like secretly amp your return? It amps it a lot. And comparing it to stocks just kind of blows stocks out of the water in that point. Like say your stocks and your investments are still ma- are making 7% each and then your stocks are taxed and so you lose a little bit there. Your money that you're making is not keeping up with inflation. It's just the same money you put in the whole time. 
rental income, say you're getting 7000 in in rental income. Well, you get to deduct your mortgage insurance, your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance, um, any repairs, any renovations, every single little thing you do, you can deduct. Unlike in your personal home, I can't deduct you know, renovations on my house. Mm -hmm. I can't deduct anything. I can't deduct the insurance and, and things like that. You're just limited to property tax and, and mortgage insurance. I mean, property tax and mortgage interest on your primary. But on a rental, you can deduct everything, the property management. Um, if I travel to the city to go look at the house, all my travel expenses are covered. Um, so there's a lot more expenses. Plus, you're keeping up with inflation by increasing your rents as the years go on. So you're, you're hedging against inflation. You're having a lot more tax deductions. You can also um, deduct depreciation because it's now uh, a business instead of your personal house. You can't deduct depreciation on your personal house. So even if I make 7000 a year, I might be able to deduct 3000 in depreciation, another couple thousand in interest and repairs and all these things. And so my taxable is actually maybe 3000 so you're saving a lot on taxes as well. There's a lot of benefits, and the keeping up with inflation is pretty huge too. If you just had your money in a savings account, it's not going to keep up with inflation. But you're you're locked in your 30-year mortgage, so you've locked it in on a low inflation point, and then inflation goes up and up, and you're keeping your rents up, but your mortgage stayed really low, and so oh, you're yeah. benefiting from that as well. Speaking of 30-year. So um, why why do you do thirty year over arm? And I'm not saying that arm is better because I I'm not I have really an arm. You so you do have an arm. <laughs> yeah. So I, have I actually two. have <laughs> I have let's see of my four current rentals one is paid off one is a fifteen year refinance because the house was paid off but I refinanced to pull out to put as a down payment on another house mm. so I have a fifteen year refinance I have a 30-year standard mortgage fixed, and I have a 30-year 5-1 arm. And on the house that I'm going to buy that I just went on a contract, I'm going to do a 15-year mortgage. And so it, there's tons of different reasons for wanting different mortgages, and I, I think I'll write an article about it as well. But if you're just strictly going for cash flow, you're going to want to go 30-year fixed all the way mm, because okay. the interest rates are so super low right now that you want to lock that in and 30-year fixed, you'll have the most cash flow, it's gonna take you forever to pay it off, you're gonna pay the most interest, but your tenant's paying that interest for you. So that's the most leverage, the most cash flow. But if you're kind of like us, where we want to retire in 10 years, we don't wanna be paying forever, we're kind of doing this in between, where we want, we don't care about cash flow right now, per se, because we have solid income coming in for the next 10 years, so our goal is to make it only maybe a hundred bucks of cash flow and just increase it. So the next one that we're going on the 15 year mortgage, it only, it's only like $80 more on the mortgage payment, but it's going to save us $40,000 worth of interest over that whole term. Yeah. And we'll be done just a few years after we retire. Hmm. So we're trying to just kind of stagger when all of our payments are going to be done hmm. in addition. But if you're strictly going for cash flow, you're going to go 30 year fixed all the way. Unless we're in a super high interest rate environment and you thought interest might, might actually go down, then you could do yeah. an arm. The reason we did the 5-1 arm on our previous house was that I was still more in the mindset of buy house paid off, buy house paid off. Mm. And I wanted it to be the lowest interest rate possible and I knew I would just put tons of money toward it and pay it off in like 8 years. And so that was my rationale for doing the arm. But if I was going to live in a house as like my personal home and I knew for sure I was going to leave in like five or six years, an arm is a great way to go because you're going to have a super low interest rate, the lowest interest rates you could get. And then when you sell your house, you know, no big deal. Hmm. You've locked in that interest rate for five years. So maybe you guys can explain this to me. Uh, is an arm is adjustable rate mortgage? Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Are those typically like lower interest than a fixed rate? Yes. Much but lower. it could, but it could potentially go up then. Or? It'll, it'll definitely change. So a five-one arm means for the first five years, it's whatever they quote you at. Like so, right now, a thirty-year might be four percent, but a five-one arm might be two point eight. Okay. So it's pretty significant difference for the first five years, and then after that, every year, which is the five-one, it will fluctuate based on whatever the prime mortgage rate is. You know, the federal 
rate. And so right. it'll most likely go up because we're such a low rate environment right now. Okay. Um, but in the past, like 20 years ago when interest rates were 15%, it might have gone down, might have gone up, just kind of depends yeah. on what the, the Fed is doing. Okay. And so for a 5-1, because like 15-year and 30-year, those are fixed terms. Like it's going to be paid off within X yeah. amount of years. For a 5-1, what does that mean? Like It'll then, it'll be a 5-1 15-year mortgage or a 5-1 20-year mortgage oh, okay. or a 5-1 30-year mortgage. The 5-1 just means first five years are at whatever rate they quote you at. And then every year after that, it can adjust. And it'll usually have a cap as to what the max it could get to. Okay. Are there other types of arms where it can go... It can fluctuate within the first five years and forward from there, or is are all, all arms a, five ones? No, you can get a three one arm. Um, oh, okay. There okay. might be other options too. Three one and five one are the most common. Gotcha. Because um, most people only live in their house. Well, if it's like me who moves around every four or five years, I mean, it kind of makes sense to have an arm because then you will lock in the lowest rate possible and you know you're going to move. But if you're someone like my sister who's lived in Columbus, Ohio for 10 years and is never going to move, like she wants a 30-year fixed, so it's the lowest possible rate. Okay, gotcha. So you had mentioned, uh, you know, that, that you write articles and you write some amazing articles that, that like thousands of people have read. Thank you. Um, yeah. And and I kind of wanted to like maybe bait you a little bit. Uh, can you tell me? <laughs> can you tell me why my home that I'm living in now is a great investment? <laughs> it's probably not. Um, and the home I'm living in right now is not a good investment. I don't know why I bought this house. Um, your home is not a good investment if you want it to be an actual investment. Um, if you are planning on making money on this down the road, you're probably not. You're most likely keeping up with inflation and that's about it. Um, all the money you go into it, the money that you're paying for interest, the money you're paying towards the principal, you hopefully get out when you sell, but not always. Uh, it just it really depends on the timing of the market and how hot of a market you're in. I mean, you're in a very small area of New York, New Jersey, so maybe you'll get some property appreciation that beats inflation. But if you're in the middle of America, you're not going to beat inflation. You're just going to keep up with it. So if the inflation is 3% a year, house values might go up 3% a year. And you think you're making money, but you're, you're really not. Uh, and that's where the tax deductions and all those things come into play. And the, the difference between owning a house for private use and owning it as an investor is all those deductions, all those tax you know, advantages that come with being an investor instead of a personal you know, owner of the property. I mean, there's great value to owning a property. Our school district where I live now is amazing. That's the whole reason we moved here is for the schools and for my son's future and education. So it has value, but it's not a financial investment by any means. Would you be concerned if someone who owns their home and is living in it uh, had most of their wealth tied up in it? Yeah, because, I mean, it's not doing you any good. It's totally illiquid. If you need to get that money, if you had like this major catastrophic medical expense or something and you needed to pull money out of your house, you're either refinancing it, which then you have more mortgage payment every month, or you're going to sell it and then you have to find a place to live anyway. So, I mean, I wouldn't consider your personal house an investment. And that's weird because that's a lot of people say it's your biggest investment or your, your biggest yeah. part of your net worth where how is that really your net worth when it's not giving you money. Mm. It's just sitting there stagnant right. for decades. So yeah, and that, that's always bugged me of people who say like your home is your biggest investment. It's not. It's not, <laughs> not making you any money. I mean, it might if if it appreciates in value randomly, but yeah, it's but you not have going to sell to it and pay commissions and taxes yeah. and blah blah blah. Yeah. And if you add on to it, you have to pay the money to add on to it to raise the value and all that. So, so. if I was twenty five years old and I'd saved up. I don't know, $30,000, and I, I found a place, Would you? And but it required 30000 down payment, so it would clean me out, but then I could own it, live there, and then whatever, I don't know, build a shack on the, in the backyard. <laughs> but would you advise me to do this, or would you say keep it in the market, and at, at what point would you advise someone to make that decision? So the 30000 would be a rental property or your personal? Personal. So I would, I would own one property, I would clean everything out, and I would live there. And then I guess I'm looking to where the, the scale tilts for you. 
Yeah, if I had $30,000 and I would needed a place to rent, I mean to live, I would rent a place for, you know, 800 bucks a month or something and invest that 30000 in the market. I mean, unless you're going to make it a rental property and rent some rooms out to cover your mortgage and make it tax deductible and all that, I don't think spending 30000 as a 25-year-old on your personal property is worth it at all. Because there, we get a lot of questions in that realm. A lot of people put, like, everything they have to... No. Here's a potentially smarter, more realistic question. What if you're the same age, you've got 30000 uh, and you already have a place to live, like at what point, what net worth maybe would you say to start looking at your first rental property, not to live in, but to actually build into an income stream? Um, I would start right away. I mean, the best time to start is now. I mean, if, if your goal is to retire early, if your goal is to get out of the rat race, you need to build income streams now. Right. Do that rental property or like a website like you have that brings in money passively, but not really passively because you have to work really hard at it. Um, but any anytime you can build those income streams now, they're only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as you go along. So I would right. I would get in there on my first rental property a lot quicker than I would get in there on my personal property. Um, yeah, rental properties are going to give you the income, the tax deductions. Um, the control, the leverage, everything the rental property can give you, your personal property can't. Um, so I would jump in there. I would make sure I would didn't have credit card debt. I would make sure yeah. you know all those major things are done. I wouldn't spend my 30k on a rental property if I had a car loan and you know ten thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. I mean that's not intelligent. You have to you know choose where your money is going to go first. But if you have your life under control and maybe the only debt you have is a super low interest student loan or something like that then I think it's worth it. I mean, what if you had a cash flowing property that paid you 200 bucks a month and your student loan payment was 200 bucks? Your rental property is now paying for your student loan. Um, There are ways to make other people work for you and give you the life that you want. And that's, I believe, the rental property. Okay. So as long as you've got the money to cover the down payment and is there an initial investment with these uh, rental management uh, companies or is it just like you've got the property turn the key and we'll start taking our little commission from it each month. You don't have to like put up front like some fee to initiate it. No, you shouldn't. Um, okay. The most of usually they'll take the first month's rent or half the first month's rent or something like that as their setup fee for doing all the paperwork and screening the tenants and things like that. Um, but the, no, they should not charge you money to work with them. They should okay. be happy that they're getting money from you every month. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cool, because I mean, I, I feel like the <laughs> the scenario you built, Andrew. It's like, are you describing me right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I I don't. I'm, I'm afraid for people who are saving to buy a home and they're gonna take everything they have and put it in, mm. and then they're yeah. gonna be like super exposed to I don't know anything. Yeah, that's the Dave Ramsey method of yeah. having no debt, paying for your house in cash for your personal property, and I I just can't. I don't know. That just does not seem like the best financial way to go because you're still going to have property insurance and property taxes and things like that that you're going to have to pay. So your house isn't truly yours. If you don't pay your property taxes, the state is going to take your house from you. Um, So just owning a house outright doesn't mean it's, you know, free and clear per se. And that money that you spent paying the house off or paying in cash could have been making you a lot more money in the stock market or in other investments. It just... You know, in the beginning, I was very interested in Dave Ramsey, and I was like, kind of <laughs> seeing like all the stuff he does. I, I would say, I mean, so he says he does all inspirational stuff. It just seems that he's allergic to math. Uh, yes. a lot of his. <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said yeah. for freedom and mm. having no debt. That's an insanely powerful feel. We had several years where we had zero debt whatsoever, no mortgage debt, no car debt, nothing, and. That's really nice to know that you could, you know, stop working and your monthly expenses are so minuscule that you could live, you know, for a really long time. But that's temporary. You need to have income coming in still. And and having a paid off house doesn't give you that income coming in. I mean, maybe the dude's niche is just like, hey, I want to get you out of debt so you're able to work. Uh, put a little bit of savings away every month, donate to your church, and have a happy little like life. And that's that's kind of like what he does. Mm. And then like optimization and and like the margins and stuff are not really his ballpark. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's 
that's fine. But yeah, I would much rather go with where the math tells me to go. <laughs> Which is funny because like before I started looking into this stuff, I was very much like eventually one day I'll just buy a house in cash. Like straight up because like the idea of debt, I don't like it. But now that I'm like learning, oh, I could actually leverage the mortgage and actually invest the money to make a larger return, that makes more sense. Yep. At least, I guess when you're not in a position of risk, mm. of undue risk. Yep. So cool. Okay. Well, you've got ideas floating around in my head now. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> I'm doing Our audience my... is young enough that they need to get started in <laughs> yeah. alternative ways to invest their money. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've got my monthly Vanguard and Betterment going, but this could be an extra thing. I guess uh, there's still like a little bit of pushback in my head right now because I'm like, what if there is a lot more work involved than than I anticipate. But it seems like, I mean, you guys going on five properties and it's not bad. So Yeah, it, it could be as little work or as much work as you want. Like if you want to be the fixer upper guy, if you want to buy, you know, a foreclosed house that's totally trashed and you spend all summer renovating it, you'll save tons of money by doing it yourself. You you know, manage it yourself, you'll save tons of money there. Your your return will be twenty plus. But it also requires all that effort and skill yeah. and all that stuff on your side. So there's tons of ways to make money in real estate. The way I do it is like the most passive, the most hands-off and the least return. And I'm still making good return. Um, yeah. You could go way more into it, you know, have partners that give you the money. So you're having none of your own money in it and you're doing all the rehab yourself or you have, you know, a buddy that does it super cheap. There's a lot more, a lot of ways to make it a lot more profitable but for our life and the fact that we have to move every few years with the Air Force, like it's just, it, we just can't manage it ourselves. So it's just easier to go this right. route. Yeah, it makes sense. Definitely. Cool. Well, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I got some research to do. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, Allison, thanks so much for coming on the show. Do you have anything that you want to like link people to or a place where people should go to connect with you or anything like that? No. Um, well, once people, more people get on the community site, I will be very active there, and we'll okay. be slowly adding more people to the community there. Um, people can see me on Bigger Pockets as well, which is a big real estate website. I'm uh, a poster over there as well. Okay, cool. And it looks like right now you've got nine articles on the Somebody Matters. So if you guys are more uh, curious about this and you want to learn more, she's got a bunch written on the site. Uh, over on our team page, if you just click her profile, you'll find them all, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And I think that's all we got for this episode, right, Andrew? I think Any that is a lot to, to chew on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. All right, guys, well, if you have questions about uh, this topic or anything else related to personal finance, you can always contact us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Andrew's done sipping pina coladas or whatever mm. he was drinking in Peru. So uh, hopefully the emails will start flowing out again. And uh, you can also subscribe to the show or leave a rating and review on iTunes if you want to support us. Uh, this week's Wait, review comes... But before oh. you go into it, I, I do want to just say, um, Allison mentioned the community, and we had talked yes. about it like months ago, um, and then it was like mum's a word, and we've been like secretly <laughs> building it behind the scenes, um, and we are slowly letting in the most awesome people that we could find, because we wanted to have like just an, a killer culture. I mean, we have people like Allison in there, who's like teaching people, and then we have newbies in there, so it's like this great mix, and if this, if, if this interests you, and you think that you're particularly awesome, email us, and uh, maybe we'll let you in in the alpha. In the beta, a lot of people super come Super secret. Yeah, alpha. it's super secret. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah. Uh, listen, money matters to gmail.com. If you want to potentially get into the community, let us know that you want to, and we'll probably let you in. I mean, if you're awesome enough to email us, and it's, <laughs> I don't think there's too much of a chance we won't. But uh, yeah, so this week's review comes from BuckFever21 on iTunes, and uh, he or she says, This podcast is a gem that will educate you on the fi uh, vital financial subjects needed to deal with personal finance. I'm a current graduate student in the medical field who will soon be working, and I have zero financial knowledge prior to listening to this podcast. They cover everything from 401k to budgeting with Mint and do it in a way that makes it easy to follow and comprehend. Highly recommended for anyone wanting to prepare for their financial future and great beer tips as well. Sorry for no beer tips this episode. It's ah, actually, true. we started recording at 8 a.m., I think. Yeah. So. 
We're not that irresponsible. Sometimes we drink at 8 a.m., just not this time. <laughs> yes. Uh, so also you'll find our favorite money management resources, which we're always expanding, over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. And that's it, right, guys? Yeah. So. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we'll see you in the next episode. Stay cute. Thanks, man. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell your friends about this show.